If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dramatic video on the downtown east side. A naked man with a sword and why police believe they had no choice but to shoot. Winter wind batters the coast. Ferry service stalls as hydro crews scramble to keep up with all the power outages. And slow rollout. Canadians, uh, including me, are frustrated uh, to see vaccines in uh, freezers and not in people's arms. Where some Canadians are going to jump the queue for the COVID vaccine. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but we begin with breaking news. An explosion in downtown Vancouver near a utility vault. Multiple emergency crews are on scene, including BC Hydro. That's where we find our... Learning about what happened, Grace. Yeah, this is still a very active scene. We still have firefighters here and several utilities and fire investigators as well. Just wanted to step out of the way so you can see just the extent of that damage. So take a look at that sidewalk there that just got ripped up there from an explosion and the car next to it, that got the worst of the damage. Also, just a few meters away is uh, tough to see from our vantage point, but there's a silver Mercedes there. That car caught on fire and then the explosion explosion happened. So the call originally came in at about 3 o'clock this afternoon, just near Pacific and Granville. We're just underneath the Granville Street Bridge. Now, neighbors say they heard an explosion. Witnesses came out and say they, they saw that silver Mercedes on fire. And then, as I mentioned, a few meters away, chunks of that sidewalk that got blown apart. There was significant uh, damage to the cars around the explosion, but luckily no one was hurt. The car that uh, was involved with the fire is also above an access point to a uh, utility vault. So the fact that there's an access point there, the car fire, and then an explosion about 30 meters away in, again, what appears to be another utility vault, kind of leads us to believe the two are connected, but we'll have to wait to see what our fire investigators find to confirm that. So exactly what unfolded here is still unclear whether or not the car possibly caught on fire and then caused that explosion to happen is unclear and exactly how that car caught on fire in the first place is also unclear right now but again we've got uh, several of the utility companies here and fire investigators that are still trying to piece together exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Quite a mystery. All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting in downtown Vancouver. Now, a 37-year-old man is dead after being shot by Vancouver police. The incident, including the erratic behavior of the man, was captured on video early this morning on the downtown east side. When police arrived, the man was armed with a sword, acting aggressively. And before we show our report from Andrea McPherson, a warning. Some of the footage in this story is disturbing. A frightening experience for people living near Princess Avenue and Hastings Street waking up to the sound of gunfire. 
They shot him and he was right here, literally. The shot, he was lying right here in the ground. A man shot dead in the middle of the road by Vancouver police after they were called to the area for reports of a man acting erratically. The suspect was seen throwing objects from his second story window before cell phone video shows the man naked, walking into the middle of the street with a sword. Police claim they also had reports of this person chasing others with a weapon. At one point, he runs into a glass door, then back into the street towards officers. That's when several shots are fired. And the police went to apprehend him, and he wouldn't put down the sword, so they, sh they, sh they shot him. That's exactly what happened. It was quite intense, like, but like the gentleman, like I said, he was obviously out of his mind. He was probably high or something. Psychiatrist Dr. Bill McEwen has been working in the downtown east side for years and says this is unfortunately too common a situation. You can clearly see this gentleman is having major psychotic difficulties in terms of how he's acting and behaving. And I do not know this case particularly, but in other situations, I've seen this many times in individuals who are living down here with mental health and addiction. He would like to see mental health, housing and police interaction services better streamlined for those who are suffering. The Independent Investigations Office has also been called in. Our investigation will center around um, what um, information we have about what the individual who was shot was doing at the time of the interaction with police, what the threat, if any, he uh, uh, posed to the police officers, and you know their response to that threat. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner is also launching an investigation to examine all actions of the officers involved. Andrea McPherson, Global News. 2021 is so far coming in the same way 2020 went out with yet another winter storm battering Vancouver Island and much of the B.C. coast. Kylie Stanton has the latest on the big weather system that's causing more power outages and ferry cancellations. There's a reason it's called a breakwater, but even this one is no match for the waves rolling in off the coast of Vancouver Island. Power in nature. Yeah, I actually was getting pelted so hard that it hurt my skin. The storm brings with it a handful of wind and rain warnings, affecting nearly every community, picking up early afternoon on Tuesday and expected to last well into the night. My house is actually trembling because uh, I'm on the second floor right now and it's kind of quivering away. So it's, it's peaking right now here in Victoria, but there's a little bit for everybody today. The winds gusting at hurricane force in some areas brought trees down, knocking out power to tens of thousands of customers and counting. We have about 20,000 customers out on the island, and the majority of those are in North Island, Campbell River, uh, Courtney area, and certainly the uh, Gulf Islands up there, Quadra and Cortez Island. And with ferries ground to a halt on 10 routes around the fleet, it's quite possible many residents, especially on the Gulf Islands, won't be seeing power restored for quite some time. Until we can get... Um, uh, ferry service restored. Uh, we're not able to make it over there. And if we can't get over there tonight, then obviously they're not going to be able to have power until tomorrow sometime. In the meantime, Environment Canada is warning residents to power up their devices while they can and secure their homes. Whoa. These winds have the ability to do some serious damage. All right, Kylie Stanton is live in Victoria for us tonight. Kylie, looks like you've been standing out there a few times so far this winter, getting the worst of it out on the island tonight. Uh, what's going on down by the water now? 
Yeah, Chris, we're actually on the protected side of the breakwater just off Dallas Road, which is kind of hard to believe given how windy it is. But that just speaks to how brutal this storm has been impacting nearly every community up and down Vancouver Island. Now, as I mentioned in the story, this wreaked havoc on BC ferries. It only got a couple of sailings out this morning before having to cancel on 10 routes. I just got off the phone with Deborah Marshall, the spokesperson for BC Ferries. She did confirm they will not be resuming service tonight. They do hope to have everything up and running first thing tomorrow morning. Now, of course, in the meantime, charge up those phones, crank the heat. A lot of people without power right now. Sure to have more joining them by the time the storm is through. Chris? No doubt, and we'll get the latest on it right now. Thanks very much, Kylie. We'll check in with uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon now for more on the wind. Yes, thousands of people lost power today. What kind of peak gusts were we seeing? Strongest, we're off the uh, northwest corner of Vancouver Island, Solander Island, reporting 154. So that's like a hurricane force uh, strength wind. And then across Vancouver Island, some gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour through the Strait of Georgia, up to 100. And when we focus in on the lower mainland, we've seen the strongest gusts up to about uh, 80 kilometers an hour off the coast. But look at Tawasin at uh, 76. Now, we still are expecting the winds to continue as we head into the evening hours. Wind warnings continue. Uh, gusts potentially up to 80 kilometers an hour still along the outer coast and southern sections of Vancouver, uh, Metro Vancouver region. Now, we are expecting them to ease off probably at about midnight tonight, but we still could see some strong gusts through the overnight period. And still, the big concern is that the ground is so saturated. So when we get a prolonged period of strong winds like this, we have the potential for some down trees. And uh, certainly, we still have more rain in the forecast also. All right, we'll check in a little bit later. Thanks, Christy. And turning now to COVID-19 in our province, no briefing today from health officials, but we do have an update for you on the latest numbers in B.C. We have 428 new cases. That brings B.C.'s total to 54,629. Sadly, eight more people have died. And that means we've now lost 954 people to complications of the virus. 367 people are in hospital, 77 of them in the ICU. Almost 46,000 people are considered recovered. We are now left with 6,472 active cases and 8,596 in self-isolation. Keith Baldry joins us with more. Keith, we know the volume of testing factors into the new case numbers. Mm -hmm. That impacts the positivity rate. That's a key number we need to know about as well. What have you learned about testing since the holidays? Are we seeing a ramp up? No, quite the opposite, Sophie. Our testing numbers are going have been going down since just a few days before Christmas, and they remain very low. Uh, and again, certainly compared to other jurisdictions, we just don't, don't simply test as many uh, people as other jurisdictions. But in terms of positivity and the case numbers, interesting to compare what's going on right now. So this is our current average. 6,500 cases are tests a day. Positivity pretty high, almost 9% for the last week or so. Take a look at the week just a, before the start of the Christmas break in terms of comparison. More than 11,000 tests a day was the average, and the positivity rate was much lower, 5.7% to 6.6%. But I talked to health ministry officials today. They tell me there's a story here. Right now, we're not seeing anywhere near the number of walk-up uh, COVID testing cases. Those are people who just simply walk up to a clinic or a testing center and ask for a test because they think they have a symptom. That number has fallen off the map since before Christmas, and it just hasn't resumed. Who's being tested right now primarily are people being contacted by contact tracers. So 
the positivity rate is naturally higher because the chance right now of people being tested having COVID is higher than in normal times when there's so many people who don't have COVID but are simply added to the testing pool. So lower tests right now, higher positivity. It doesn't mean there's more COVID out there, even though there is COVID everywhere. Hmm. All right. Thanks, Keith. A COVID-19 outbreak has closed part of Vancouver St. Paul's Hospital. The hospital says an outbreak has been declared in Unit 5A in its heart center after some patients tested positive for the coronavirus. The unit is closed to new admissions now and to visitation, with the exception of compassionate end-of-life visits. Officials say they've implemented strict protocols to prevent any further spread. And the rest of St. Paul's, including the emergency room, is open and safe for patients. The B.C. government is getting more pushback tonight on the lack of specific COVID-19 information for individual long-term care homes. The issue was raised after the delayed release of details of a deadly outbreak in East Vancouver. As Richard Zussman reports, critics are not buying the defense that IT issues are to blame. From Arbutus Care Centre to Tabor Homes, it has been a pandemic mystery. How many cases of COVID-19 are linked to each long-term care facility? Being as transparent as possible and providing British Columbians with as much information as possible is really important. For months, the province provided specific numbers on exactly how many cases were linked to each care home. But in the fall, it stopped. The recent outbreak at Little Mountain Place, where 82% of residents have tested positive for COVID, has forced a response. On Monday, the problem described is an IT issue. As the numbers increase, the, the actual person power to get that information every day and collate it was taking hours and hours and hours. But for data researchers, this doesn't add up. We can hire a bunch of undergrads. Um, that can sit there and do data entry. Jens von Bergman noting Thailand made the commitment a year ago to bolster its own system just to track COVID-related data. A 72-hour project that with some money could be replicated here. That push basically gave them a fresh infrastructure that they started from. And when you start with a fresh infrastructure like this, it's easy to adapt as you learn more. There are some assisted living residences, including Bria Homes, independently tracking the numbers and posting online. Those in the care sector baffled by the province's reluctance to do the same. We can count the number of vaccine doses that are given, but we can't seem to count and report on the number of residents and staff affected by COVID-19. And there are worries it won't end there. A recent study from Safe Care BC shows 15% of staff in long-term care don't want to get the COVID-19 vaccine, and 28% are unsure. Knowing that that danger is around you in, a, in an accurate way, in an up-to-date way, perhaps will uh, motivate more staff uh, to take the vaccine. The province does provide some data around care homes, but it only reflects the overall case numbers and not care home to care home. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Fatigued by the pressures of COVID-19, doctors at Kelowna General Hospital are pleading with the public to follow the rules. As the hospital deals with an increased number of hospitalizations during the second wave, three physicians have written an open letter reminding residents to stick with their immediate households only wear masks and practice social distancing. The trio says adhering to public health guidelines will protect hospital resources, healthcare workers and vulnerable community members 
as they work to get COVID under control. We've all seen those increasing numbers in the fall and and we've been anxious about what's going to happen in the winter with uh, the fatigue that everyone's feeling. Our system is not overwhelmed at this stage, but we do see a steady stream of people coming into our enlist departments. And that is always a worry for us because we know there's usually more in the community. In recent weeks, the Central Okanagan has recorded some of the highest numbers of new COVID cases per capita. Interior Health is reminding people to stick to their household bubble and avoid social gatherings after a spike in cases in Revelstoke. Increased COVID-19 activity has been identified in the resort community of around 8,000 people with 22 new cases confirmed last week and seven the previous week. Health officials say social events were partially to blame for the community cluster of coronavirus cases Revelstoke experienced in late November. The region has seen more than 85 cases of the virus since the start of the pandemic. The initial excitement generated by the arrival in Canada of the COVID vaccine is now being replaced by a growing frustration over the slow pace of the rollout of vaccination programs. While he says he shares that frustration, the Prime Minister says the program is still on pace to give everyone their two shots by the end of September. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. It's being delivered. It's just not getting to where it needs to go. In December, more than 400,000 doses of vaccine were sent to Canada. Just more than a third have ended up in people's arms. All Canadians, uh, including me, are frustrated uh, to see vaccines in uh, freezers and not in people's arms. Despite months of lead time, critics have said Canada was not ready to distribute the approved vaccines. Rollout particularly slow in Ontario where, at the current pace, it would take a decade to get everyone vaccinated. Government officials keep saying the numbers will ramp up. The short-term supply of vials now guaranteed. We expect weekly shipments of uh, Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines in the amounts of 124,000 for the week of January 4th and 208,000 per week for the following three weeks. For Moderna January's allocation, we're expecting a further 170,000 doses the week of January 11th. Questions are being asked about how best to administer the vaccines. Canada's chief public health officer says now that there is stable supply, the best strategy is to follow the model BC has implemented and give as many people as possible their first shot. We really strongly emphasize is that Canada is committed to a two-dose vaccine regimen. The plan remains to have enough vaccine by September to vaccinate every Canadian over 15 who wants a shot. Whether provinces can rise to meet the demand of delivering that many inoculations is a question the Prime Minister will ask provincial leaders on a conference call Thursday. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And Prime Minister Trudeau also says the federal government is closing a loophole so that anyone who travels outside of the country for non-essential reasons will no longer be able to access the $1,000 sickness benefit. That program was put in place to help cover the costs of a sick leave or mandatory 14-day quarantine period. We didn't bring it in and we didn't imagine uh, when we passed it unanimously in the House with the support of all parties that people would use it to pay for their quarantines after having gone south for uh, a two-week vacation. The race to get to the front of the COVID vaccine line in the U.S. just got a little busier with snowbirds. Despite President Donald Trump's insistence on Americans first, 
When it comes to getting the vaccine, Canadian snowbirds are lining up and apparently getting in. That's because states like Florida and Arizona are allowing anyone who owns property, regardless of nationality, to join the first group of seniors over the age of 65 getting inoculated. One travel insurance broker tells Global News he's recently seen a surge of calls, but is advising clients the risk of going to a COVID hotspot like Florida far outweighs the benefits of getting the vaccine early. I'm praying that you in Canada get it soon too, because uh, this is just a terrible state of affairs. And I don't think me being American and Canadian comes into it. Um, it's just, you know, people that, that live here are being offered it. And I'm going to take it just as soon as possible. You, as you know, you've got to do two. So we, we can't feel safe yet. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was asked about vaccine tourism today and he once again advised Canadians not to travel outside the country and warns the government will not entertain another mass repatriation similar to what was seen in March for anyone who was stuck abroad. Well, it might be a pandemic, but real estate is hitting records in some parts of B.C. How red-hot activity is setting records in the Fraser Valley. Next on the News Hour. Yeah. The runoff election in Georgia and how the balance of power for President-elect Joe Biden hangs in the balance. Coming up. And the big surprise officers found at a home where they went to do a curfew check. That's coming up later. Right now, though, the real estate frenzy continues in the Fraser Valley, which reported record-breaking home sales in December and new demand in the last half of 2020. Ted Trinecki has more on the numbers and how the COVID-19 pandemic is fueling a migration from the city to the eastern suburbs. Here's a scoop. At some point during this pandemic, there had to be this wait-a-minute moment. I don't have to work at an office all of the time. What am I doing living in an overpriced, overcrowded box in the sky in downtown Vancouver? You can live and work in the Fraser Valley for a fraction of what it costs you to do so in Vancouver. Pandemic schmandemic. According to the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board, total sales in 2020 were up considerably. Detached homes, 41% higher than 2019. Townhomes up 31% and condos almost 6%. In fact, the market was sizzling hot in December with more than 2,000 sales in a single month. That's 81% above normal, an all-time record for the month of December. The benchmark price for a detached home in the Fraser Valley is now over $1 million, up 13% from December to December. Townhomes, 576000 up almost 7%. And condo benchmark price, now 438000 up almost 5%. People are looking for a yard for the kids and the pets to play. They're looking for a home office. They're looking for a school uh, classroom. Homes are becoming much more important to people for a multitude of reasons. If COVID has taught us anything, it's that social distancing is a lot easier done in the suburbs. Particularly when you have a child or two, um, that it really, I think, changes your idea of what a home is and really the kind and the amount of space that you need. Driving the migration more than anything are extremely low interest rates, and they're not likely to climb anytime soon. The real estate industry was quick to adapt to the pandemic with virtual open houses and the like. At least from a financial perspective, the pandemic plays much nicer for those with money, be it in existing real estate or the stock market. And it plays poorly for the poor. They're the ones who, for the most part, lost their jobs, and now getting into the real estate market is that much harder. 
attention at Global News. Coming up, the photo of a Surrey police board member with full patch members of the Hells Angels and why it won't cost him his job. And studying the most dangerous waves, one B.C. researcher is going rogue to save lives. Traffic is steady both ways across the Port Man Bridge tonight, but watch out further east. There's a crash on Highway 1 near 192nd Street, and traffic is slow on the Surrey side. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and the Real Canadian Superstores throughout B.C. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. It appears Harley Chappell will be keeping his Surrey Police Board gig even after his photo with the Hells Angels surfaced on social media. Catherine Urquhart has reaction to the latest development in the controversy and how the Semiamu First Nation chief explains his pose with full patch gang members. It's going to cost. Harley Chappell will remain a member of the Surrey Police Board, at least for now. This after a photo surfaced showing the Semiamu First Nations chief posing with members of the Hells Angels. The image prompting questions. This morning I spoke with uh, my deputy uh, minister and director of police services and I've asked them to, uh, to look into uh, to the matter. The group Keep the RCMP in Surrey complained, along with many others. Now the Solicitor General's Policing and Security Branch has responded with an unsigned letter saying the director of police services has had an opportunity to talk with Mr. Chappell and supports his continued participation as a valued member of the Surrey Police Board. In our opinion, no, he is not a suitable member of the police board of Surrey because of his past association with the Hells Angels. He's subject um, uh, to privileged information and uh, we feel it entirely inappropriate. The Solicitor General was unavailable for an interview. Critics say many questions remain unanswered. What vetting was done? Uh, was the vetting adequate for members of the police board? And with this new information coming in, how does that impact um, those members on the police board and in turn for public safety here in, in the city of Surrey? Harley Chappell previously released a statement saying, it has been well known to many for the past 30 plus years that my father was a member of the Hells Angels. He left the club when I was a child and I have never been associated with the club in any way. He has declined further comment and is expected to attend the next board meeting on January 19th. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. RCMP discovered a lot more than they anticipated during a recent curfew check in White Rock. The original check on December 20th involved a residence in the 15600 block of Thrift Avenue. In the garage, officers spotted a rare Rolls-Royce Phantom worth about $350,000. After some investigation, RCMP determined the vehicle was stolen from a home in West Vancouver last February. When they went back to the White Rock home with a search warrant to seize the vehicle, they also found more than 800 rounds of various kinds of ammunition. Still to come, all eyes on Georgia. One state can chart the course. Why there's so much riding on this runoff election. And while we're still in the second wave of COVID, an aggressive new strategy to make sure there isn't a third. 
Traffic is steady both ways at the Lionsgate Bridge tonight. No actual problems, but the weather and visibility are terrible, so traffic is slowing down on all the major routes like the Lionsgate Bridge. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $27 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. With the clock ticking on Donald Trump's presidency and a key election set to determine which party will control the U.S. Senate, misinformation continues to stream from both the White House and Republican lawmakers. It's a futile effort to prevent Joe Biden's electoral college certification, and it all ends with a political showdown tomorrow. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. Doing everything he can to avoid staring into the mirror, Donald Trump continues to lead his loyalists on. Thank you. That fight is a vain attempt. On Wednesday, Congress will certify Joe Biden's victory, and Trump's anxiety is palpable. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. A maximum pressure campaign is now a last-ditch effort. Trump tweeting on Tuesday, the vice president has the power to reject fraudulently chosen electors. But there is no Hail Mary play. Pence's role is ceremonial. It would be a coup, and people aren't going to sit still for that. They will not stand for it. For Trump supporters, his loss isn't real. Thousands will rally in D.C. to support him and push for Congress to overturn the results. He has been encouraged by so many nuts and crazies and conspiracy theorists that he now believes he was deprived of the presidency. Trump is expected to appear in some fashion, but these rallies have turned violent in the past, forcing the city to again activate the National Guard. That will allow for the police officers to focus on anyone who's intent on instigating, agitating, or participating in violence. Meanwhile, in Georgia, a pair of Senate races will determine who controls the chamber. I see there's some interest in the election today. Democrats dominated early voting in these runoffs, with Republicans fearful that Trump's recent tactics to overturn the election could undo a Senate stronghold that's lasted five years. The future of the country is on the ballot here in Georgia today. Trump is attempting to shift the blame to anyone but himself for any losses. Vice President Mike Pence is already set up to take the blame for simply counting votes, while the president was alleging voter fraud in the Georgia runoffs even before the votes were counted. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. In Health Matters tonight, a group of experts says the current approach to fighting COVID-19 is failing and will likely lead to a third wave of the virus around Easter. But these experts believe they have found a way to avoid it and say their plan will also help the economy. Global's Miranda Anthistel has the details. It's a new year and there's a new strategy being presented for fighting COVID-19. One that promises it could be the very last lockdown if done properly. Rather than having this yo-yo uh, sort of approach going forward, let's do it right once. Global Canada is a nonprofit supporting a panel of experts in public health and policy, business and economics. Together, they've created the Canadian Shield Strategy, which proposes that Canada sustain an effective lockdown until COVID cases are low enough that testing, tracing and isolation can work effectively. Relax restrictions only to the extent that new COVID cases continue in a steady decline and proactively assist the individuals, businesses and communities most affected by these policies saying it will help the country avoid a third wave while also providing the best outcome for the economy if we buckle down now for one last extended lockdown. Recovery takes time and if we have to recover multiple times over the course of the year, it's 
going to be more economic cost, economically costly than if, if we can just get it over with in the beginning. The panel suggests its strategy of an intense four- to six-week lockdown will provide more certainty. And by acting now, we could reduce COVID cases by 75% before the start of February. If you don't have that goal of trying to drive cases as close to zero as possible, uh, then you're just going to end up in this cycle of lockdowns and you're going to do a lot of economic damage and a ton of damage uh, to the health of your population at the same time. If implemented, the panel says the Canadian Shield could save 5,000 lives, create over 300,000 jobs, and generate nearly $40 billion in economic growth compared to Canada's current strategy. By reducing the COVID-based uh, uncertainty so that businesses can reopen with confidence and can look forward to a successful spring and summer, it means they can start rehiring people. Greenhill says Canadians need to reapply the sense of urgency and commitment that we had during the first lockdown so that we can secure this spring and save our summer. Miranda Anthesol, Global News. Still ahead, science that can save lives. Wave watching is fascinating. The professor trying to predict road waves to keep people safer on the coast. And coming up later in sports, Talking Schmidt, the newest Canuck who loves to chirp as much as he loves to play. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Weather packed quite a punch today, yeah, did it not? Did it ever. <laughs> and still is. It still is. That's exactly right. So still wind and uh, rainfall warnings in effect. We've had everything from pooling water on the roads, power outages, down trees, delays in the ferries, ferry cancellations. And check out this video, which was sent to our, us by one of our viewers. Uh, this is Highway 4 between Port Alberni and Tofino. And this is only one of several waterfalls coming down. So treacherous conditions with the wind and the excessive amount of rain that some areas have had in excess of 200 millimeters on the west coast of Vancouver Island. This is a current situation, so I would say things are starting to ease off across Vancouver Island. However, you can still expect some gusts in that 70, 75 kilometer an hour range, and certainly across uh, the lower mainland regions as well. So we're not in the clear, and the wind warnings are still in effect, but I want to point out, yes, a couple lightning strikes. So as the backside of this front shifts through our region, we are going to see the wind and rain ease off, but we still do have unsettled conditions with a risk of thunderstorms potential for showers. So keep that in mind as you head through the overnight period. But this is the last major storm, by the way, for the next few days. This is storm number five, five storms in seven days. It's been a tough go and the chance of rain is going to drop down. As I mentioned, we're not totally in the clear tomorrow. We still do have a few showers, but overall you may want to find your sunglasses because you may need them. In the meantime, tonight, still snowfall on the mountain passes, except for Fraser Canyon expecting rain. Do not travel these without winter tires. You need to make sure you and your family are safe. Uh, northwest or sorry, northeastern portions, some blue sky, and we'll see that through the Okanagan Valley, but still some snow overnight in the Columbia and Kootenai region. That will change to rain, though. Things warming up tomorrow for you. And there's that uh, blue sky that I was mentioning, but you can still see some raindrops in there. So a chance of showers, about a 40% chance for Metro Vancouver. Still more sunshine on Thursday, but overall the pattern in the next little while certainly a lot brighter and drier compared to what we've seen. Today's sunrise, you know what they say red skies in the morning sailors take warning we certainly did with the storm that moved in today logan lake is a great little spot and that is a beautiful picture mm -hmm. thanks christy gorgeous colors all right squire is here now looks like uh we have an entertaining new addition to the canucks <laughs> well nate schmidt uh 
is the kind of guy who has a rather big personality. When he comes into a room, it's like a storm has blown in, but a good storm. Uh, but he says he can't show his teammates all his personality at once. I gotta make sure I give it to the guys in doses. I don't know how much they can handle at first. He's already making an impact and not just with his voice. Look forward to that later. Also coming up, the study of rogue waves. A researcher working on a new theory that could save lives. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. God bless the guys that can bring a little levity to the training camp drudgery. Am I right, Squire? Well, I love guys who have great quotes. Guys who like to say what they think. Too many players, and I, I get it, but too many guys do the get pucks deep, 110%. We all know the words. Uh, we'll get to Nate Schmidt in a second. First, because the season is coming up in just over a week, there are no dull moments at Canucks camp. Uh, every second counts, especially for those players who are trying to make the team, but it also counts for the veterans who know they have a job but need to get up to regular season speed quickly. Jay was at Rogers Arena again today to watch it for us. For a team coming off their first playoff appearance in five years, the Canucks had a busy offseason where their biggest changes are coming from the goal crease out. No Jacob Markstrom or Chris Tanev, who both headed east of the Rockies and joined the Flames. Means Braden Holtby will share crease duties with Thatcher Demko. And when you look at how condensed the Canucks' January schedule is, playing 11 games in 19 nights, expect to see the goaltending workload to rest on the shoulders of both Demko and Holtby. We're fortunate that we have two guys that we really have, you know, we're, we're going to have faith in both of them going in the net. And I think regardless of, of how a goalie is playing this season, you're going to have to play your, your, your two goalies rotation more than you have in the past with how many games there are. The other significant changes come along the blue line. For the first time in 12 seasons, steady, reliable Chris Tanev won't be logging those serious minutes while blocking and absorbing all those countless shots. Troy Stetcher is also gone. Expect to see Ole Ulevi compete for one of those jobs, but also watch out for Jalen Chatfield. He's now a fourth-year pro and looking more and more capable of stepping into a fourth pairing role. Growing up, I've always battled hard and, you know, second chances in the corner just to win that battle. I've been known for that even when I played in Windsor and even in Utica. Um, never giving up on a puck, playing hard to play against, and, you know, being the unsung hero, you know, just being that guy down low that people don't want to play against. Smooth skating Jack Rathbone, bit of a wild card, although Rathbone hasn't played a game since leaving Harvard last March. Both defensemen were in the Canucks bubble, so it's going to be interesting to see if one or both of them stick around to start the NHL season. When you're going against guys like JT Miller and um, PD and um, Brock and, and those guys on a consistent basis, you're, you're going to grow and you're, you're going to develop. But um, So yeah, there's, there's definitely some learning curves, and, um, but yeah, I, I think it's been good so far. Big surprise on Tuesday was watching our first scrimmage. A couple quick takeaways. The lotto line of Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, and Brock Besser once again looking lethal, especially with Nate Schmidt feeding them pucks. Besser sniped a pair of quality goals. Pettersson scored from an absurd angle. And I'm telling you right now, Nate Schmidt is shaping up to be one of Jim Benning's best acquisitions. He's so good offensively as well as defensively. Reporting from inside the world's largest freezer, Jay Janor, Global Sports. Now, Jay is a man who understands the segue 
Nate Schmidt to Nate Schmidt. When the Canucks acquired him from Vegas uh, in the offseason, they got two things. They got a defenseman who can move the puck, or can move the puck, I should say, out of their zone quickly, provide some offense from the blue line. But they also got somebody you're going to notice and hear because Schmidt loves being an NHL player and he loves talking. Nate Schmidt loves being an NHL player. One of those guys who always seems to be in a good mood. He's got a lot of positive energy. We like that in players. Um, we, want, we want players that just love playing the game. Uh, it seems like he's, you would put him in that category where he loves there's not a bad day at the rink. Jay Beagle and Braden Holtby know what Nate Schmidt is like. They played with him in Washington. But for the uneducated Canucks, having Nate Schmidt show up in town is a bit of an experience. Having Holtz and Beeks here was an awesome start for me because uh, you have guys you can kind of, they kind of know, you know, the true, real Schmitty. <laughs> and sometimes uh, I got to make sure I give it to the guys in doses. I don't know how much <laughs> they can handle at first. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, because I was, I didn't know how much to bark and yell today because uh, I don't want guys to get overwhelmed. I think I've worn enough guys. You know, they got to, <laughs> no, uh, um, no, it's been, it's been awesome. I think uh, he showed his energy already. I think it's uh, um, that positive energy is going to be infectious to this group. All right, Russia-Finland for the bronze, Canada-U.S. tonight. Game just started, actually, for the gold. Okay, Russia scores first. Ilya Safinov, one nothing against the Finns. But deflection goal from Anton Lundell, and this would tie things up in the second period. So now it's 1-1. Third period, another deflection that ends up in the back of the Russian net. Miko Petman, an all-Canucks prospect, the silly pod Colson can do is shake his head. Russia doesn't win anything. Finland gets the bronze. Hey, one of the good guys in the world of hockey, John Muckler, died at the age of 86. Five-time Stanley Cup winner with the Oilers coaching staff. Most of his adult life was spent in hockey. Even had a job for a while in the Canucks organization. But his glory years were with the Edmonton Oilers. And as I said, if you ever got a chance to meet him, great guy. Loved the game and everyone in the game loved him. No doubt. All right. Sad to hear. Thanks very much, Square. All right. Let's check in with Ann Drua for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. We'll have the latest on that explosion and fire in downtown Vancouver this afternoon. Fire officials say it's fortunate no one was injured by the blast that sent chunks of concrete into the air. We'll let you know what the early investigation reveals. And charges have now been laid in connection with a disturbing assault on a Walmart employee in Dawson Creek last November. The incident sparked when a couple was asked to wear a mask. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris. All right, thanks, Ann. All right, when we come back, uh, rogue research that might help us learn a lot more about one of the ocean's most dangerous phenomena. That's next.
All right, we'll go from the mountains to the ocean. They are among the most dangerous phenomena on the open ocean and along the coastline. Huge rogue waves that appear seemingly out of nowhere, capsizing vessels and washing people out to sea. Now a University of Victoria researcher is working on a way to predict when and where they might occur. Linda Ellsworth reports. Water is the most powerful element on Earth. When you don't respect it, bad things can happen. Rogue waves, when multiple waves come together to combine forces, can be deadly. A husband and wife in their 50s and a grandparent in their 70s, all related, did not make it back. The water comes up the beach, but then as it goes out to the ocean again, <clears throat> it uh, drags your feet away and then it sweeps you out to the ocean. One problem is their unpredictability. That's why we started this project, uh, trying to... <clears throat> educate the public and uh, give a better uh, warning to the public. The project by University of Victoria physical oceanographer Johannes Gimrich to find ways to predict rogue waves. We don't know how often it occurs, we don't know under which circumstances uh, it occurs and we don't know if there are any locations that are more prone to them. His team is halfway through a three-year-long study that involves observing waves with cameras and underwater sensors off the stormy west coast of Vancouver Island. The same waters where two people were swept off the rocks in September. We came across people um, yelling for help because there were some folks that were out in the water. They miraculously survived, but not without injuries. When the study is completed, the findings will be shared with Parks Canada, which will in turn use it to better educate beachgoers. The sea state fluctuates and uh, a few minutes of uh, fairly calm conditions doesn't mean that uh, there can't be a large wave coming up right after you. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Happens fast sometimes, doesn't it? Sure does. Wow. wow. All right. Uh, well, we'll definitely see a lot of uh, water, some waves out there as well, Christy. Yes. In fact, I had a look at the forecast for the west coast of Vancouver Island, and there was a chance of today of some uh, waves up to 8 meters, 26 feet. As we head through the overnight period, the wind and rain will ease off. We do have a 40% chance of showers tomorrow, but overall, a uh, pretty nice uh, pattern on the way over the next little while. We're not totally in the clear. You can still see some showers, but at least some sunshine there, too. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Can we talk about the juniors now? Is there a score? Last I saw was 0-0. 0-0, okay. Now that we're off the air, enjoy the game. (laughs) Have a good night, all. Thanks for watching.